Prepare for a riveting conversion that has the power to change your mindset and perhaps even your life, only if you stay tuned till the very end. I am your bubbly co-host, Veronica Costello, welcoming you to another enthralling episode of Talk Commerce. Today, we bring you a remarkable guest whose journey can inspire us all. A man who looked at a sock, yes, a sock, ladies and gentlemen, and saw endless possibilities, not only for business, but for humanity as well. We've got Brent Peterson, our ever-so-charming host, all set to pull the curtain back on the incredible enigma that is Michael Marder, the grand architect of Hippie Feet. An enterprising soul matched with the heart of a philanthropist, Michael has woven a revolutionary tale that goes beyond profits and dives deep into challenging youth homelessness. And to hear such a story, complete, my dear listeners, is to open your own windows of perception to a world where businesses and compassion can coexist seamlessly. So settle in, cozy up, and prepare for a journey that promises to be as enlightening as it is entertaining. But hold your last sip of tea, for a quick word from our ever-supportive sponsors is due. Great news for the Magenta community. Hufa is now fully supported by Amnesty, the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the Hufa theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge. And many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hufa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit Amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y.com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Is your Magento site moving at a snail's pace? Believe it or not, you're in the same boat as 90% of Magento store owners. Let's add a splash of optimism. I recently had a client who revived their site by switching to Hufa. Their excitement was contagious. Hufa is more than just a theme. It's like having a secret weapon in your e-commerce arsenal. Picture this, you're crafting an online space that's as vibrant, engaging, and dynamic as your brand. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's the Hufa magic! Performance, top-notch! Usability, smooth as butter! With Hufa, hitting Google Lighthouse scores of 100 isn't a dream, it's reality! My client and I have been on this exhilarating journey, and I tell you, it's a game-changer! But hey, Hufa isn't just about turbocharging your performance, it's about putting a personal stamp on your store. The theme is fully customizable. Play around, express yourself, make it truly yours! My client has been having a blast watching their online storefront transform supercharged by Hufa's powerful features and tools. Ready for transformation? Why not test drive Hufa and feel the difference yourself? Visit hyva.io. That's hyva.io. And when you get there, don't forget to mention that Talk Commerce sent you. Trust me, you're in for a treat. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. 
please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Michael Mador. Michael is with Hippie Feet. Michael, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Yeah, thanks, Brent, for having me on the show. My name is Michael, and I'm the founder and CEO of Hippie Feet. Uh, we are a Minneapolis-based sock and apparel company that is committed to donating 50% of our profits to charities that are working to end youth homelessness. Um, as the founder of the company, I, of course, wear multiple hats. Uh, we are still very much a small business and a small team. So um, my main role is, is primarily in sales and kind of, you know, main revenue driving efforts. Um, but I also design all of our products. I have a hand in our marketing efforts and I'm kind of the touch point for all collaborations or brand relationships. Awesome. Good. Um, so, Michael, I know that you graciously volunteered for my uh, free joke project and I I did find a sock joke it's going to be I, I can guarantee that this is going to be super lame but when you tell you the joke all you have to do is tell me should that joke remain free in the public sphere why did the sock go to therapy it had lost its soulmate and just <laughs> needed to be healed Oh yeah, I'm gonna use that one. You should charge that, uh, charge for that joke for sure. How much? Uh, <laughs> after, the, after the podcast here. All right, good. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, thank you for being so gracious. I would say that somebody should. I should probably pay people for that joke. But anyways, <laughs> let's let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about Hippie Feet and and some uh, and some of the history behind that. Yeah, so Hippie Feet is a six and a half year old company. We actually turned six and a half uh, last week. Um, or maybe two weeks ago. Um, hard to keep track of time these days. Um, but we, we got our start back in September of 2016. Um, that was actually the first fall after I graduated from college um, the summer prior. Um, so I began to work on Hippie Feet while I was a senior in college. Um, the initial kind of idea for the company came to me during October of my senior year. Uh, but I didn't have the idea until I faced... Uh, what I would consider my biggest moment of adversity. So when I was a senior in college, I suffered a traumatic brain injury. I was a uh, a longboarder, skateboarder at the time. I still have the hair, um, but I've since traded pavement for water. It turns out it is a lot softer to fall on water than it is to fall on concrete. So I was riding my uh, longboard home uh, from, from work uh, one day. I was a bartender when I was in college, so I was paying for school. Um, and I, I hit a crack in the road and I kind of fell forward. The board stopped and I ended up uh, face planting into a curb, um, fractured my orbital bone in about four places, and then I cracked the inside of my scalp. Um, that injury forced me to drop out of school. I had to go into recovery for three months. I spent a little bit of time in a hospital, um, had to quit my bartending job as well. So, you know, going into what should have been my last year of college, um, I was suddenly unable to attend school um, as well as unable to provide for myself. I, I couldn't work. I wasn't bringing in an income at the time. I mean, I couldn't even like get out of bed um, for the first month of recovery to um, you know, get my own groceries and, and, and you know, run my own errands. And so I had to rely on my family and friends, those that I considered to be my support system, just to survive. And I realized how lucky I was to have that support system around me. And I realized that... There are other people out there that have gone through a similar experience, whether it was an accident or an injury, a mistake they made, or something, you know, uh, less 
um, related to any of their own actions. Maybe it was just they were dealt a, a shitty hand in life. And because they didn't have this support system to fall back on, their only outcome, their only option was homelessness. And so I, I felt very fortunate to have um, a, a loving support system around me that was willing to financially and emotionally support me during my time of crisis. And I wanted to be able to take that experience and, and pay my good fortune forward. And so I was uh, inspired to start a business that could be that support system for other young folks that were affected by homelessness. So that was where the initial kind of um, idea for Hippie Feet um, was started from and, and why we are passionate about helping the youth homelessness community. And so after that head injury, um, during those months of recovery, I began to work on a business plan. Um, I was able to get back into school the following spring semester. I had some amazing professors and advisors that allowed me to kind of uh, tweak the rules, if you will. And I was able to take 30 credits that spring semester. Um, half of those were online and the other half were in person. Um, so it was a very busy last half of my senior year. Um, I was working to you know, graduate on time as well as start a business. Um, but I had some advisors and professors that uh, not only were able to kind of hear my business plan out and offer some, some support and some recommendations, but they're also able to introduce me to some fundraising opportunities, specifically through business model competitions. Um, so I had pitched uh, at my local business model competition at the University of Wisconsin River Falls um, during that spring semester. I got second of two teams that competed, but thankfully for me, only two teams competed because the, the top two teams uh, automatically qualified for the state tournament. The Wisconsin Big Idea Tournament is what it was called. Um, so I had some time to refine my pitch and I was um, able to do so well enough to win that state tournament um, and was awarded $22,000, $22,500 to be exact, um, in, in the form of a seed funding grant. Um, so I thought that was a lot of money at the time, of course, you know, being a college student. And I uh, quickly spent that money trying to bring in uh, inventory and, and kind of get this, this very rough business plan uh, to a point in which we could actually launch a business off of it. Um, and we were successfully able to launch Hippie Feet uh, later in the fall, uh, September of 2016. So that was kind of the, the journey from idea to launch um, that I went through. Um, now, when we launched the company in 2016, we actually launched it on a buy one, give one sock donation model. So everyone's familiar with Tom Shoes. Most people are probably familiar with Bombas as well. Um, we started on the same model as Bombas did. For every pair of socks that we sold, we would give one to a homeless shelter. But we very, very quickly realized that by donating socks, you're really just addressing a symptom of homelessness. And I would consider all buy one, give one donation models to be marketing focused and not mission focused. And what I mean by that is by giving a tangible product, we'll just use homelessness in this example, by giving a, a tangible item, a pair of socks to a person experiencing homelessness, you are not doing anything to help their outcome. You are essentially treating a symptom of homelessness. The symptom being people that are experiencing homelessness walk a lot. They go through socks faster than most people. They need a steady supply of socks, right? Um, so by donating socks, you're, you're addressing that symptom. But to me, that's, that's more like slapping a Band-Aid on this hemorrhaging wound and expecting it to heal. Uh, again, you're not doing anything to change the outcome of those individuals. And we quickly realized that because in our donation efforts, we were giving socks to some of the same people week after week. You know, you'd show up at a, at a homeless shelter in Minneapolis and you'd say hello to John, hand John another pair of socks, have a conversation with John, and you'd do the same exact thing a week later. 
And John was still homeless. You know, his, his situation hadn't changed and it wasn't going to. You know, we could have given John a thousand pairs of socks and, and he would still have been homeless. And that led us to realize that what John needed or any homeless individual needed was housing opportunities, healthcare opportunities and income opportunities. The income opportunities is something that we saw uh, an opportunity to solve for. And so in 2018, we decided to end that one-for-one donation model, and we began to provide jobs directly to youth experiencing homelessness. We targeted young people ages 16 to 24 because we found that youth have um, the opportunity of youth. And what I mean by that is they still have all of their hopes, dreams, goals, desired uh, and desires. And then homelessness um, hasn't quite taken effect um, as deeply as it has on others that have experienced homelessness for a longer period of time. And, and that is to say that homelessness is a cycle. Um, there isn't a linear path out of homelessness. Um, and oftentimes folks living on the streets, they are given resources. They might have some success, but they struggle after a while. And the longer they stay on the streets, the longer they stay in that cycle of homelessness, the, the, the greater effect it has on their physical and mental well-being. And the more difficult it is to get that person back into a self-sufficient lifestyle. So we target youth because they haven't been on the streets for so long. They still have um, a lot of like the goals and aspirations that young people typically you know have and so we try and take advantage of that and and provide them with some sort of intervention early um, so that they don't have to experience homelessness for so long and so that they can get back to a self-sufficient lifestyle on a shorter timeline um, so that's the reason that we targeted youth but through our employment program we hired around 10 people to six month job training programs where they were given guaranteed income consistent income from us they were managing our warehouse so doing all of our order fulfillment product assembly packaging screen printing embroidery you name it. Um, if it happened in a warehouse, that's what we employed these folks to do. Um, and during that six month period, we not just provided them with income, but we gave them some soft skills, um, things like can you show up on time, communicate effectively, work with the manager, work in a group setting, um, things that a lot of people typically take for granted because they're just, um, you know, they're, they're given those lessons early in life. Whereas a lot of the young people that we had employed, this was their first job opportunity. And so they needed to kind of start from square one. Um, that employment program was obviously much more impactful than the one-for-one -one donation model. Uh, we saw young folks take the income opportunities that we provided them and then go on to transition out of homelessness and into a self-sufficient lifestyle. So the program itself was a success. However, there was less folks transitioning out of homelessness than we had hoped for. Less, less percentage of the young people that we employed went on to find other full-time opportunities, housing opportunities, etc. And so we did an analysis as to why these, these young folks were still struggling. And we realized it was because they were missing some of their core social services. And I mentioned that there are three social services that are actually uh, necessary for any person experiencing homelessness to get out of homelessness. And those are housing, again, obvious uh, housing, having a roof over your head is very important. Income so you can sustain that housing is also important. And then healthcare opportunities, which are both traditional healthcare opportunities as well as healthcare such as mental health or substance abuse counseling are also necessary for anybody trying to get out of homelessness. When we looked at our employment program, Hippie Feet was addressing the income side of things, but we failed to address the housing and the, uh, the healthcare side of things. And quite frankly, we were never going to be able to do that. We were a for-profit or we are a for-profit company and we just don't have the resources or, or capabilities, uh, the expertise, if you will, to provide all housing, healthcare and employment opportunities for homeless young folks. So we decided at the end of 2021 that the best way for us to have an impact was to share our resources. So we, we then entered into our model today, which is to donate 50% of our profits to nonprofit organizations that are addressing youth homelessness. The organizations we give to have the ability to provide housing, healthcare, and employment opportunities. Um, so they are really that one-stop shop for any young person experiencing homelessness. Um, because the youth don't have to 
uh, provide or use their own abilities or resources to find these social services, um, they have the best chance of transitioning out of homelessness because they just have to show up to these nonprofits, work with their caseworker, and they're going to be able to access housing, healthcare, and employment opportunities, everything they need to get back to that self-sufficient lifestyle. So that's ultimately why we are, are working under the 50% of profits donated model that we have today. It is because we have the deepest possible impact through that model. And I'm proud to announce that last year we gave $66,000 to uh, a number of nonprofits addressing youth homelessness. So um, that was the largest financial impact that we have had on any given year. So even when we were operating our employment programs, uh, we made more donations last year than we paid in wages in our previous year. So um, making that switch to the 50% of profits donated model not only helped our impact, but it helped our business grow uh, because it kept our roles a little bit more focused on sales and marketing. And we were no longer moonlighting as, as social workers and, and kind of, uh, kind of you know, working one-on-one with young folks in our, our warehouse. So um, that is our long-winded history and, and how we came to, to where we are today. Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome story. Thank you for that. Um, have you found that going through those stages helped you to focus on what your core mission is for Hippie Feet compared to maybe splinting yourself into different areas that you weren't so good at? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and to be honest, I wish we would have realized that sooner, um, but I'm thankful for the timeline that it happened on because um, our efforts early on were basically like a crash course in working with the homeless population. Um, you know, we worked with any, any, on any given day, 10 youth within our employment program um, at a time. And so um, it was a great opportunity to connect with the young folks ask about their lives and ask about what they need to be successful. So it really gave us an understanding of how to help the youth homeless community. And without that kind of uh, lesson, I don't think we would have um, been able to have as, as deep of an impact as, as we do today. Of course, of course, we wish we would have gotten to this 50% of profits donated model on a quicker timeline, but um, I'm thankful for the education that our previous mission efforts provided. Um, and to your, to your question about you know, how did that um, allow us to, to determine what roles we're good at and what roles we should outsource, um, obviously, it really helped us kind of um, focus our time and efforts on the portions of our business that A, we had the expertise in and B, that actually drove revenue. Um, so, you know, not having to write programming for a employment program or not having to manage young people in a warehouse, making sure that orders are getting shipped correctly and getting out the door on time freed up a crap ton of my time. And I was able to really focus solely on revenue driving opportunities. Um, because of that, uh, we saw our B2B sales efforts grow by 225% last year alone. Um, it gave me time back in my day and that time I used to focus on driving revenue. Um, and so, yeah, it really helped improve the uh, kind of efficiency of our business because the time that I was spending working in the business or on the business was spent um, creating better systems that allowed us to make more money um, on uh, or with less effort. And so, um, you know, now that we're making more money, we're able to give more money away as, as well. So it's kind of like a, um, a double-edged sword, you know, by um, trying to make the mission more efficient, we actually made the business more efficient and vice versa. So they, they kind of play hand in hand now. And that's why I really love this 50% of profits donated model is the better hippie feed is doing, the better our mission is doing. How important is being connected and involved in the local community, knowing where to put that money? 
how, like I, how important is that? Then how do you also determine who you're going to give that money to? Yeah, um, for me personally, it's, it's very important to be connected within my local community um, simply because I've gotten so much out of my community. Um, you know, uh, starting a business is a very hard thing to do, especially straight out of college. You know, I didn't know a whole lot. Um, at least I know a lot more today than I did when I was, um, you know, fresh out of school. Um, so I've had a lot of support from my community and, and I've always feel this like sense of um, appreciation for that support as well as a um, kind of obligation to pay that forward. And so for me, like doing work within the community is just, it's, it's something that you should do. And, and I feel, you know, this kind of like sense of, of obligation to do. Um, in terms of being tapped into the youth homelessness community, um, that has been really important because it has led to good partnerships for us, um, both from like a business standpoint as well as from a mission standpoint. You know, we have um, great nonprofit partners here in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, so we, we are very um, fortunate to have partners that are willing to show up for us the same way that we would show up for them. You know, it isn't just, hey, we're giving you money every year. It's, hey, we're giving you money um, uh, to support your, your efforts. But if you are able to help our efforts, um, you know, please do so. And, and all of our nonprofit partners are willing to kind of, you know, have that scratch your back, scratch ours mentality. Um, and then in terms of what we look for from a nonprofit partner uh, in terms of like the criteria that we expect. Uh, the first thing is efficiency. They have to be an efficient nonprofit. And we define efficiency as 30% or less of their revenues are being spent on the administrative costs. So salaries, um, benefits, things like that. If less than 30% of their revenues are being spent on the admin side of things, that means 70% or more of their revenues are being spent on the services, meaning that is directly ending up um, w within, you know, uh, the resources or the programming that the nonprofit is, is creating for youth experiencing homelessness. In some instances, it does end up directly in those young folks' pockets. Um, so we really, we really look for, for organizations that are um, efficient, um, they're doing the right thing. You know, I, I hate hearing news about nonprofits that like spend more on the admin cost than they do on the, the services. Like that is, that's criminal to me. Like, I think Russell Wilson's uh, foundation from 2020 to 2021 spent 25% of all the money they brought in on the actual services they said they were they were offering. And you know, for a guy that makes 50 million a year in the NFL, that's a little backwards to me. Like, why, what, what's going on with that money, man? So um, first and foremost, they have to be efficient. They have to do what they say they do. Um, and then we also look for nonprofits that have the ability to provide housing, healthcare, and employment. They have to be able to provide those three um, social services. Um, and then we look for nonprofits in strategic locations as well. So obviously we're from Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis here. So we have nonprofit partners in Minneapolis and St. Paul. We will always make sure that we have nonprofit partners in the Twin Cities area. Um, but we do strategically give to other states and other cities. Um, and we look for nonprofits that are located in states that have a high homeless youth population. So California, for example, you know, LA County has the highest homeless population in all of the United States. So we have a nonprofit partner in Los Angeles. Um, we are also giving currently to uh, nonprofits in Chicago, Illinois, again, high ho uh, youth homelessness population. Um, but we're also giving to organizations that our customers or, or cities that our customers live in. Um, you know, we want to reward them for their support. Um, so we look at kind of the areas of where we see the most amount of business and then we make donations to uh, those cities um, conveniently. Major metropolis areas are, are uh, where most of our customers tend to live. That is also where you happen to see the highest amount of homelessness happening. So we are giving to uh, 
Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and LA as of today, we're making a one-time uh, donation to a nonprofit in South Carolina. Um, that donation is a result of our B2B business. If, if you buy enough custom socks from us, we will make a donation to a city of your choosing. Um, so that's how that South Carolina nonprofit got uh, added to the mix. But we are planning to expand our nonprofit partnerships to Denver, Seattle, and New York by the end of this year. So uh, again, trying to reward areas that our customers live in as well as address cities where youth homelessness um, it needs the most um, kind of effort to, to solve for that, that issue. Are you encouraging your partners in the B2B space to carry on that same mission? And I'll, I'll just give an example. Of, I, I was in the tech industry for a long time and uh, I, I would get Bombas socks oh, yeah. at a tech show as swag. And yep. in that would be here's, here's some socks and here's the mission that we believe in as a company, and yep. here's why you know we're giving these away. Yeah, of course. Um, so our B two B program, that was our largest um, portion of revenue last year. Um, again, we, we grew it by two hundred twenty five percent, so it, it kind of uh, took off on us. Um, but that allows us to put any company's logos or brand on a pair of socks. Uh, you know, if you have a local artist that you want to put their art on a pair of socks, we can do that too. We can pretty much customize anything from a sock standpoint. And so companies work with us so that they can showcase their branding through a, a new product, but also to um, support our mission and to share that um, kind of commitment with their clients, their employees, colleagues, partners, etc. Um, so the, the main reason that other businesses buy from us is to support our mission. Obviously, they're getting a promotional product out of it, but um, most companies know that if they wanted a pair of custom socks, they can run off to China. They can pay you know, 90 cents or less for a pair of socks, um, and it's going to be shit quality, um, but it's going to get the job done, right? Um, that's an option, but folks buy from us. They pay more money to buy from us because of our mission, because we make our socks in the United States, and because we make our socks with sustainable materials like recycled cotton. So we have these unique value propositions that mean more to uh, the end recipient of that sock. You know, it's, it's, it's a way for companies to say, here are our values. Here is us putting money um, into these values. Now, we obviously make the donations on behalf of these companies. We're the ones that are collecting the revenues and the profits. But whenever we have a large purchase from a, co a company, um, I always give them the option to match our donation. So we, we kind of have this rule where if you buy 3,000 or more pairs of socks from us, tell us the city you want to make a donation to, and we will do the calculations on what that profit was. We'll multiply it by our end, year, end of the year margin, um, and then we'll take that, that dollar amount, we'll make a donation to a nonprofit in a city of your choosing. The nonprofit obviously has to meet our criteria. We're not just going to give to everybody or anybody. Um, but then we'll ask the company, like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to give five grand to this nonprofit. Do you want to match it? Um, some say yes, some say no, like, you know, it's totally up to, to their discretion, but um, we always give them the opportunity to match because it's just a way to further the impact. Um, and then it's a good way for these companies to have like a really great internal comms message sent out. You know, it's just uh, the, uh, an ability to kind of talk about the, the non-revenue driving efforts that the company is doing. It's, it's, it's really uh, a way for them to, um, you know, create some uh, excitement or, or um, passion within their, their uh, company network um, uh, by you know, showcasing that they're using their resources to do a good thing and not just buy products. All right, so we're, we're 22 minutes in and we've talked about your mission and you've briefly mentioned your product, which I think yeah, is fantastic that, yeah. that uh, we're, we're, 
you know, that were very mission focused, which I think any company should be. Tell us a little bit about the socks themselves. I'm, ex- you know, I'm always excited to hear, uh, you know, b- uh, made in the United States, uh, recycled cotton. Tell us a little bit about the actual product. Yeah, well, of course, the, the mission is what it's all about here at Hippie Feet, but we do need products to, uh, to sell to keep, keep that mission alive, so we should, we should definitely talk about the products. Um, Hippie Feet's bread and butter product is socks. That's what we started with. That's what we will always uh, be very, very good at. It will always be our number one selling product type. Um, we make all of our socks in the United States. We actually have two manufacturing partners in North Carolina. They're conveniently about a mile apart, so we can share resources amongst the two manufacturers quite uh, quite easily. Um, but we've been with these manufacturers, um, our primary manufacturer, we've been with for six and a half years now, since since the jump. Um, I have a funny story about, about that manufacturer that I'll tell you here in a little bit. Um, the secondary manufacturer we've been with for about three years, but both organizations are family owned. They're second and third generationally owned businesses. So, um, you know, supporting, um, you know, folks out, out East that are, uh, running these family businesses that have been in the family for, for, you know, many decades at this point. Um, and they make fantastic products. You know, they have, uh, some of the best machines that you can get access to in the country. And so, uh, we're making some of the best socks, uh, that can be made in the U S I'm confident in that. Um, we are also passionate about sustainability. You know, we, we want to take care of people, obviously, but we want to take care of our planet as well. Um, so we make our socks with sustainable materials. The primary material that we are using is recycled cotton. So any given pair of Hippie Feet socks has about 85% of the materials in it that are coming from post-consumer waste, so recycled materials. Um, it's usually a blend of 55% recycled cotton, 30% recycled polyester, um, and that fabric waste comes from t-shirt trimmings. So, or, or general like fabric waste or any kind of garment cutting. Um, we'll use t-shirts for this example because it's easy to explain, but t-shirts are cut literally in the shape of a T on like a horizontal piece of fabric. Uh, when you cut that T, there's obviously a leftover scrap above and below the shoulder seams, to the left and right of the side panels. Um, that scrap usually ends up in a, landf- a landfill. I think um, I was reading an article the other day that about 83 to 86% of all fabric waste ends up in landfills. Fabric waste is not necessarily biodegradable. If it's cotton, yeah, it breaks down over time, but most t-shirts and other items these days don't just have cotton in, they have polypropylene, polyester, nylon yarns, um, you know, some blended items. So uh, with with that going in a landfill, that's just gonna sit there, that's not gonna break down over time. Um, so we have a, a partner in, in Spain that collects those materials. Um, they break those materials down to a pulp and they spin that pulp into a yarn. What's great about that is that by recycling cotton, you remove the farming process that typically goes into creating a pair of cotton socks. When you remove the farming process, you save a shit ton of water. Um, we remove 99% of the water that typically goes into creating a pair of cotton socks by using recycled cotton materials. Um, last year alone, I think we saved 12.6 million gallons of water by using recycled materials and diverted like 7,000 pounds of, of textile waste from landfills. Um, so we can track uh, all of our kind of environmental savings from a, a product standpoint. Um, the other cool thing about recycled cotton yarns is that there are no, uh, well, obviously no pesticides that need to go into the growing process. Um, but you're also not adding artificial dyes back to the yarns because the yarns that we use are coming from pre-dyed fabrics. So if you have a black t-shirt, you cut the black t-shirt, you have black fabric waste. Our, uh, man, our, our partner in Spain will collect that. They'll take the black fabric waste, turn it into a black pulp, spin it into a black yarn, turn it into a black pair of socks without the need to add the dye into the yarn itself. So it's another way to kind of remove some of the potentially toxic um, chemicals from the manufacturing process. 
outside of our recycled yarns, we also have access to some merino wool yarns. We use merino wool for socks, as well as an ultra-fine merino wool for sweaters. We have a sweater manufacturer in New York and New Jersey that we worked with. Um, they make some very, very good sweaters. Um, and they have access to um, not just ultra-fine merino wool, but some like soy-based fibers as well, um, as well as recycled cotton yarns also. So we um, are very passionate about sustainability from a sock and all product standpoint. So we try and use recycled materials, organic cotton materials, or uh, natural animal fibers for any product that we make, including sweaters, t-shirts, beanies, socks, etc. I have to ask you, because of Hippie Feet and our former governor, Jesse Ventura, how about yeah. hemp? With Jesse Ventura, what's he up to these days? I mean, I, he's still like kind of in politics. He's, uh, he's not wrestling anymore, but um, he's a big proponent of hemp. Yeah, he is. Oh man, if only the rest of our state government were we we would um, be able to utilize it a lot more. I mean, hemp is like a super awesome fiber. Um, hemp can be. I have a friend that has a hemp farm in the in the uh, Twin Cities here, and I was out at his, at his hemp farm about two months ago and we were just talking about all the use cases of hemp and I was, I was amazed. It's for, it's insulator, it's fertilizer, it's, um, uh, animal feed. It is fibers for clothing. Um, it can be utilized in technology products. Like hemp has like an endless amount of use cases for it. Um, however, it's scratchy, it's itchy. Um, it is not the best material to use for clothing unless it's blended with other items. Now, Levi's is currently uh, going through a project to create a pair of 100% hemp jeans. They haven't been able to do it yet because they haven't been able to get the jeans soft enough. So right now their hemp products are a blend of cotton and hemp. Um, now they're getting better at it, uh, but I believe their goal is to have all hemp-based jean products by 2026. Um, so I, I see that hemp is going to be, I mean, hemp is probably like the the, the material of, of, of the future, if I'm being honest, if we are able to figure out a way to soften it, it's gonna be cheaper than, than cotton. It uses less water than cotton. Um, it is faster to break down than cotton. It is, it is like the superior fiber, um, except for when it comes to softness. And so if they're able to figure out a way to make soft hemp or softer hemp, then we could absolutely create it for our socks. But uh, until, until we have softer hemp, we'll, we'll keep, uh, keep it the cotton or wool. Interesting. Um, so I, I want to just jive back to sustainability in cotton, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the cotton in the U.S. is made or is grown in the U.S., but then it's shipped to another country, let's just say Indonesia or Malaysia, to make it into string, and then it's shipped to another country to make it into T-shirts, and then it's shipped all the way back to the U.S. So yep. there's this huge circle that has to happen in cotton. Yeah, I don't, I don't know um, too much of the particulars, but I know that a lot of the uh, U.S. cotton is farmed in Texas, um, and then a lot of it is also shipped out of the United States for the processing of the cotton because it's, it's expensive. To, to do anything that requires labor here in the United States is expensive. You know, we have to, we have to pay, pay folks a, a, a livable wage um, for this country, which this is a very expensive country to live in, and so um, it, is, it is definitely cheaper to outsource some of the manufacturing process for cotton. Um, the organic cotton that we use is uh, grown in Texas um, and spun in North Carolina. So the organic cotton that we use does not leave the U.S. It stays in the U.S. Um, but yeah, I know that a lot of cotton does get shipped out of the U.S. But if you are, I mean, 
most cotton and apparel comes from India still. Um, India and Pakistan has kind of the, the world's largest um, cotton output. Um, so if you're, if you're wearing cotton, it's usually coming from India or Pakistan. Um, tell us a little bit about Hippie Feet. Um, our, where did you come up with the name Hippie Feet? Yeah, so I, I got really long hair. Um, it's, it, it's been longer. When I first started it, it was probably, you know, seven, eight inches longer than it is now, like, uh, you know, down to the half of my back. Um, I've always liked the idea of the hippie movement. Um, that was just such a great era for humankind. Um, it was good and bad, of course. You know, like the, any anytime there's like uh, abrupt change, there's a lot of pushback, and so that can create some some ugly moments as well as some good moments. But I think the underlying philosophies of the hippie movement are something that I can really get behind. Um, taking care of people, you know, taking care of the planet. Uh, civil rights and equal rights for everybody. Um, some pretty fundamental um, beliefs of mine um, that I think a lot of, of the momentum behind those ideas started uh, within the, the hippie movement of the 60s and 70s. And so that is a philosophy or those are values that we have instilled within our brand. You know, we want to protect our planet and create products sustainably that don't have as harmful of an impact on the environment. We want to give half of our profits away so that we can help um, underprivileged communities and, and help folks transition out of homelessness. So our business kind of um, reflects the ethos of the hippie movement, I believe. And so we wanted the name to, to um, pay homage to that. Um, I also like some of the design style from the 60s and 70s. There are some terrible things that came out of the 60s and 70s from a design standpoint, but there are some really cool things as well, like bent stripes and, I mean, rainbows and, you know, like kind of these bright, bold patterns, paisley, um, chevrons. Like there are some really great design elements that came out of the 60s and 70s, and you can see those appear in our um, our sock designs and our sweater designs. Like right now I'm very influenced by everything mid-century modern, you know, Victor Vassarelli, like that pop art type effect. And so um, I've been inspired by the 60s and 70s from both a design standpoint as well as a, a value standpoint. So that's kind of where the, the hippie portion of our name comes from. Uh, from an inclusive standpoint, if somebody has the inability to grow long hair, would you still require them as a hippie to grow hair around the back of their head? Nah, and pull it into I'll, a ponytail? Even nah, though they couldn't. Fine. I'm probably going to lose my hair at some point. You know, my, my grandpa was bald. Like, I'll, I'll accept it. Um, I think he, I think you don't need to have the hair to be a hippie. Um, I think uh, you can, you can, you can just be a hippie just based on how you live your life. Yeah, my wife and I were just watching some show on HBO from the, you know, based in the '70s, early early '70s, and everybody has this, all this hair, and I'm like, oh, I could never be part of that movement because <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. <laughs> you just got to grow um, a beard, you know, just a big old beard, and then then you'll be welcomed within within that crowd, apparently. Yeah, my beard grows in as well as the top of my head comes. Anyways, let's. So let's. Um, <laughs> we have a few minutes left here. Tell us a little bit about. Uh, where Hippie Feet's going and what's yeah. your ambition for the next, you know, five years or so? Yeah, so, you know, we're really focused on improving our e-com efforts this year, um, really trying to grow our presence through, um, you know, online marketing, um, both paid and organic um, efforts. 
Um, our B2B business grew quite a lot last year, so we obviously want to sustain that growth, um, make sure that that is a consistent revenue driver for us. But uh, I see a huge opportunity in e-com to grow our business. Now, e-com is, is a challenging space right now post iOS 14. It's no longer as, as cheap or effective to advertise through social media platforms. So we've had to get a little creative as to how we're going to drive traffic to our website on an on a, 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 a affordable basis, if you will. Um, so we've been doing a lot of collaborations recently. Um, we worked with uh, Harrison Phillips, who is a defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings last year. The year prior, we worked with Eric Kendricks, who is a, uh, a former Minnesota Vikings linebacker. Um, he just got um, caught by the Vikings and, and signed by the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, but we've been able to work with some athletes as well as artists through a collaboration standpoint. And usually when we work with athletes, influencers, or artists, it's through a collaboration where they're designing or co-designing a pair of socks or, or uh, an apparel collection. And then they leverage uh, uh, their profiles to drive traffic to our website, sell those products, um, and help kind of grow our mission. So that's been a really effective uh, marketing effort for our, uh, us recently is these collaborations. Um, another area that we are attempting to grow here uh, moving forward is through retail, looking at some mid-sized retailers and trying to land our products in those stores. Um, I'm currently in conversations with uh, Shields and REI, and so hoping that, uh, hoping that we'll have uh, some hippie feet socks uh, in, in some of those sporting goods stores here soon. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, if we can grow our retail uh, portion of the business, some slight growth uh, and sustained growth to the B2B areas, and as well as you know, growth within the e-commerce space, I think we're going to uh, have ourselves quite a good year and, and uh, a very bright future. Do you uh, worry about trying to get into, say, a Walmart or a Costco that it may yep. be more than you can handle? Yep, uh, very much so. Um, the big, the big stores, the big chains. They, you are at their mercy. Um, I've had friends that are in these stores and, and kind of you know uh, uh, peers that have had the, the 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 experience with Target or Walmart or some of these really large big box retail stores, um, and they have you know great things to say when it's going well, and um, you know they they also recognize that you can get pushed around and bullied a little bit by these stores because again everybody wants to be in them and they're going to tell you how to, to get in their stores and, and tell you what you need to do and what sacrifices and modifications you need to, to, to make in order to, to fit in those types of stores. Um, we'll never sell in Walmart. That's not our environment. I'll be the first to admit. Um, that's just not a, a store where I think we have a, a great customer fit. Um, but something like a Target we'd be interested in, certainly. Obviously, Target's Minneapolis-based here. Um, there, there are easier connections to get into, but uh, or to get into Target with, but um, you know it would have to be done without taking away from the integrity of our brand. Um, you know we don't want to sacrifice on quality or sustainability to um, land land a Target. Um, so for us, I think we're looking at retail more through the lens of, of focusing on mid-sized retailers, more specialty retail stores that have our audience kind of regularly showing up to them, and then using that as a learning experience and and taking that learning experience potentially to some of the bigger box retail stores and saying, hey, we've got our We've got our legs under us from a retail standpoint, and 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 we can, um, you know, kind of take on this new challenge with a little bit more expertise. Um, so, while I would love to sell in some of these big box stores, um, first and foremost, it's very hard to get in contact with the buyers at those stores, and you could spend hours and hours of, of your time trying to make those connections and and not be fruitful in, in those efforts. Um, so, I want to make sure that the time I spend is is spent on areas that we can see some more immediate returns. Um, and so that is some of the mid-sized stores right now. Um, 
Now, if, if Target called me tomorrow, hell yeah, I'm going to entertain that conversation and do what I can to, to make it happen. Um, but without, you know, doing so without, you know, sacrificing the integrity of the brand and, and some of the values that we hold near and dear. That's awesome. And I like what you said about uh, about collaborations. I, I have interesting. I have a podcast starting soon called the Collabcast. Yeah. And we're working with the Collaboratory, which is a, another Minneapolis company. Yeah. Oh, where, I where they call with them the other day. They're cool guys. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Well, so yeah. we're all on the same page. Um, good. Uh, so we have a few minutes left. Uh, as we close out the podcast, I give everybody an opportunity to do a shameless plug. What would you like to plug today? Yeah, if you're going to drop this podcast end of April, I'm going to plug our upcoming collaboration with the um, Bachelorette, uh, former Bachelorette, Michelle Young, uh, another proud Minnesotan. Um, Michelle was a former teacher and educator. Um, She has stepped out of the classroom in the last year and a half to um, try and grow her platform and her brand, but doing so in a way that generates a positive impact. You know, Michelle is very passionate about um, creating positive change within her community. Um, her communities today are Minneapolis and Los Angeles, where she kind of splits her time. And so we are collaborating with Michelle on an upcoming collection of socks that were designed by K-12 students. Um, so we had a student sock design competition take place during um, the end of February and beginning of March, where we... Uh, physically went to some classrooms in Los Angeles, California. Um, Michelle and I kind of gave a lesson on the importance of giving back and talked about the philosophies that that Hippie Feet has kind of instilled within our brand. Um, And then we gave the students the opportunity to design some socks. Um, We had uh, probably like 40, 50 students design socks for us in California. Um, And then while they were designing socks, we actually had asked teachers from across the country, some in Minnesota, um, I believe we had like one in South Carolina, one in Georgia, you know, kind of classrooms from across the United States here um, participate in that sock design competition. And so we collected all of these design assets. I think we had around 100, 110 designs in total to, to, to review and choose from. Um, we narrowed it down to three winners and we are going to make those socks and make them available for sale during the first week of May, um, which leads up to National Teacher Appreciation Week. Um, during the second week of May. So the, the May 8th is when National Teacher Appreciation Week starts. And so uh, we are uh, kind of combining Michelle's passion for education with our mission to help the youth homelessness community. Um, and we are you know, celebrating teachers and celebrating students through their designs um, and giving these students to you know, actually design a product that sells and, and creates a positive impact for youth experiencing homelessness. So that is a, a big, exciting collaboration that we have coming up. Um, we are going to announce like the partnership in the next uh, two weeks here. Um, we're going to announce or tease at the, the collection in about four weeks, and then we're going to drop the socks um, on May 1st. So that is, that is a big collaboration that we are looking forward to uh, the most here um, coming up in the next uh, quarter. All right, and I will then guarantee that we'll get this podcast cast out before then. So the third week in April, will something like that will target for the release date. Perfect. That, that would be excellent for me. Michael, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Brent. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. 
please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.